0: Hello and welcome to the Science and Belief in Society podcast brought to you by the International Research Network for the Study of Science and Belief in Society. I'm Dr. Will Mason-Wilkes and today I'm very pleased to be joined by my co-host Dr. Rebecca Hughes. How are you doing, Rebecca?
1: Thanks, Will. I'm doing okay. Enjoying the... (laughs) Heatwave that's is, trying to come through
0: the UK. It is very, very warm. I think we're all, all very warm in all the various parts of the UK that we're in today. But we'll, uh, we'll struggle through. But mm-hmm. yes, um, we're indeed very, very excited uh, to be joined today by Dr. Carissa Sharp, who is uh, an assistant professor in psychology of religion in the School of Theology and Religion at the University of Birmingham, and also Dr. Carola Leicht. Uh, who is a reader in organisational behaviour at the University of Kent? So, welcome, Carissa and Carola. How are you both doing?
1: Hi, doing well, thanks. Yeah, very well.
0: That's great. So, uh, hopefully, uh, not too hot, and hopefully, uh, <laughs> this conversation won't heat things up too much. But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just go straight into it then. So, so yeah, we're going to talk about kind of uh, a range of the the work that you you two uh, have been have been working on recently. So. The kind of first thing we want to talk about is a a paper you recently had published uh, in the International Journal for Psychology of Religion, titled Content Matters, Perceptions of the Science-Religion Relationship. And this paper focuses on how people with different social identities, uh, from the religious through to the non-religious, perceive the relationship between science and religion. So can you just kind of tell us what the sort of headline findings were of, of that piece?
2: Shall I go ahead, Carissa? Go ahead. You were the first author. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Well, um,
3: basically, what we wanted to find out is how people actually think about the uh, relationship between science and religion, and what we found is that basically people think about it in two different kind of content areas. So uh, we found that there is one content area when it comes to uh, finding sort of the big explanations to. Uh, You know, uh, where did humans come from, Uh, how did the universe come into existence and these kind of things. And then uh, another uh, content area is how um, how uh, people think about the relationship or uh, basically how how we should interact with the world as humans. So how should we think about treating mental illnesses and physical illnesses and these kind of things? And. um, in general, what we find, so we, we, we send out uh, these surveys to um, uh, religious participants in the UK, uh, atheist participants and non-religious participants in the UK. And what we found in general across all of those participant groups is that um, on the, the big explanations of so where the universe is coming from and how humans um, come into come, come the world, uh, uh, people perceive that there is more conflict between science and religion on those kind of questions than on the questions on how we should interact with the world. Um, but we, what we also found, we what we found really, really interesting is that. Um, there are differences depending on people's own religious identity. So uh, what we actually found is that um, the religious uh, participants that we had actually didn't indicate that they thought there was much conflict on either of those content areas, Um, which is really interesting because um, so they found basically they stated that they found to be science and religion to be fairly compatible on the both content areas, Mm -hmm. Um, which we found quite interesting because because a lot of times we kind of the conflict narrative assumes that uh, that it is religious people who, who will think or perceive that there is a conflict between science and religion, but we didn't find that. Um, So that was quite interesting. And then we thought, well, let's see if we find that across different countries. So uh, we then expanded that work. And what we find in Germany, Spain, Argentina, and again in the UK, is that this kind of pattern on how people of different religious and non-religious identities think Uh, about the relationship between science and religion is fairly consistent. So again, across all those countries, there's these two kind of big content areas um, and uh, the religious participants tend to always uh, perceive that actually science and religion are
2: compatible. Yeah, that's on average, at least, for yeah. religious participants. So, we're not saying that all religious people see compa- compatibility between science and religion, but when you look at religious people as a group, you tend to see compatibility uh, in their beliefs. And we should say we have colleagues who've used this scale in the US and Canada as well. Um, And it seems to work really well, at least in in those contexts. Now we don't want to make too many um, assumptions about how well it will work in in contexts that we haven't looked at because All of the contexts, all of the contexts that we've looked at so far, at least, have been predominantly Christian contexts Mm. as well. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, it's research that still needs to be further developed in terms of knowing how generalizable it is. But at least across the context that we've looked at so far, it seems to work pretty well.
3: Yeah, and I think in general with our research, we 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 always look at sort of general trends within groups uh, rather than uh than um looking at specific sort of subgroups or, or specific individuals. So when we th- when, when we say religious people tend to perceive more compatibility, then that's that's sort of an average across those that, that group. Um, yeah, as Carissa pointed out. I think for yeah, so
2: example, know, you might have a hundred religious people in your sample and so you're looking at an average of how those hundred people answer a question
0: yeah that's that's so that's, that's really interesting and I'm you kind of headed off with one of the the questions that, that kind of jumped to my mind immediately when I was kind of thinking about because because those contexts you you listed are quite quite different I suppose in terms of those different countries you've looked at but I find it I find it really interesting that you said that even across those contexts you kind of recognize this broadly kind of similar pattern emerging but do you think that actually thinking about it a bit deeper um that those countries all have a kind of christian or a majority kind of christian heritage and that possibly playing a role that you know that all again i'm I'm asking you to kind of attribute causality here perhaps i don't know but but i mean what i mean do you think or maybe to speculate at this point but uh as you kind of extend this research or in, the, in other context, do you think that Christianity is playing a big part here or is that just, you know, that's not what you're kind of looking at or what you can answer at this point? Or?
2: It's a bit hard to say at this point. I mean, I do think that, that we're clearly tapping into two different kinds of content areas as Carola said. So um, I think psychologically Um, people might deal differently with things like these kind of big picture explanations versus those more kind of immediate, you know, um, concerns such as, you know, how do you treat mental illness? How do you treat physical illness? Those kinds of things. Those are those human world interactions. Um, That said, um, you know, we don't have the data to be able to say at this point. Um, actually, we will be having some data um, from Sri Lanka um, coming pretty soon, which we'll be able to um, have as kind of a really interesting case study mm-hmm. to compare this in a population that is not um, Christian majority. Um, so they're majority Buddhist, um, and we'll we'll have samples from from Buddhist. Um, Hindu, Muslim, and Christian groups in in Sri Lanka. So I think that'll really be able to kind of give us an indication of how generalizable this kind of construct is across different um, populations that are that are non-Christian um, in terms of their um, majority beliefs.
0: Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. And I, I mean, yeah, just just on 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 further reflection, I suppose even within those contexts that you have studied, that you know, the there's a there's a kind of perhaps a, some shared cultural you know, Christian heritage, but also really big differences, right? You know, the UK compared to Argentina, you know, in terms of where those, so, you know, there's this really interesting, as you say, this kind of pattern that's being tapped into there. Uh, Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. You know, I mean, you can't really call the UK a Christian country Mm, anymore um, in terms of, you know, looking at, at the percentages of, of belief and Um, non-belief. So, you know, there definitely are kind of different um, levels of current belief, but, um, but kind of historically, um, have at least had that kind of um, Christian context for the culture, yeah,
1: ah, yeah, it was really cool. Um, also, we were talking about identities and different ways that science and religion are viewed. So you mentioned the conflict narrative. Could you just maybe give a brief description of what that is in relation to this relationship?
2: <laughs> sure. Um, I think uh, the, the conflict narrative, um, I think, is something that is, is pretty implicit um, in a lot of um, kind of understandings of the relationship between science and religion. So there's this kind of assumption that science and religion are necessarily in conflict. Um, so, uh, Will, Will and Corolla, do you think I've explained that fairly well? <laughs> So I, I think
3: it's sort of the assumption that uh, that basically you cannot hold both of those beliefs at the same time. So you can't have a, a religious or to some extent spiritual belief and at the same time believe in science because uh, science obviously has explained how uh, humans uh, came into existence and uh, obviously that's... Um, could be perceived as conflicting with the idea that god created uh humans on on earth in seven days or whatever um so that's that's sort of that the assumption that because both of those those uh belief systems in, a, in, in an extent uh, uh help us to explain certain things on earth they can't be whole simultaneously um i think that's what what Generally, we kind of uh, um, mean when we talk about the conflict narrative between science and religion.
0: Yeah, go on. Sorry, Rebecca. Go on.
1: Oh no, you yeah, you go ahead.
0: No, I was I was going to say. I mean, it's it's a really interesting question, obviously, because it's something that that in various different ways is kind of very centrally animating to a lot of the kind of discussion in the in this kind of the audience to this network, and and you know, but it's really interesting to see the different ways that kind of we can think about where it sits and what, you know, and obviously um, Corolla and Chrissy, your background being kind of social psychology, the the kind of the, you know, there Corolla, you kind of very much seem to be talking about it in terms of, you know, this, this sort of dissonance or so, you know, not being able to hold these kind of competing ideas, perhaps, you know, and I suppose, Um, yeah, that's, that's certainly something that I think, you know, a lot of people who, who are listening would, would recognize as being, you know, a kind of a, a typical kind of understanding of conflict but other people might think it see it as being a more historical thing that comes out of particular kinds of you know historical work so yeah it, 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 not really a question it's just an interesting kind of comment about you know thinking about the different disciplines that sort of speak to this same question and kind of operationalize the term like conflict narrative in mm-hmm. in in different ways but you just I just I, I suppose just to kind of really emphasize your the first point and make sure I've kind of got the the sense of the findings right when you're thinking about what you found from this this kind of study that that conflict or, or perceptions of conflict seem to really be sitting or being mo- being driven more by non-religious people than religious people, right? So it's that religious people aren't seeing as much conflict between science and religion
2: yeah. as Ooh, non-religious so what we, people, right? Is what, that right? What we did was we asked people to answer on a scale. So right. I think a scale from zero to 10 with zero being complete conflict and 10 being complete compatibility, something along those lines. So you've mm. got, you've got kind of a, a sliding scale. And when you look at the average scores, what you find is that religious people tend to be on the compatibility end, Mm. whereas non-religious and and atheists in particular um, tend to be more on the conflict end. Um, so obviously there's variability within those groups, but that when you're looking at those average scores, that's, that's what you tend to see. Um, and then you also tend to see more conflict as Corolla said, in those, um, kind of big picture explanations, uh, about kind of how the universe works, how, how, you know, how human life works and, and how the universe, universe works, those kinds of things.
0: That's great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and that actually leads really well into our next question. As you were talking about these different identities and how the the social religious identities relate to how groups overall and individuals view science and religion. So this is for Corolla. So following from that, you've done some further work that focused particularly on non-religious people's perception of science and religion. So, for example, you gave a paper on this topic at the 2022 INSBS conference titled Science v. Religion, Exploring the Role and Use of the Conflict Narrative Amongst U.S. and U.K. Atheists. So what has this more kind of drilled down and focused work revealed about this, these views?
3: Yeah. So uh, that that work really stems right out of what we find in our found in our our previous work, and I thought it was just really really interesting to see sort of maybe more about the nuances uh, of uh, pe- people who who are non-believers and I particularly wanted to focus on, on atheists and understanding about how atheists think about the conflict narrative in more detail because there is um, some research showing that um, atheists in general can be sort of split into two groups. Uh, one group um, uh, just that, that they identified with atheism but then another group which is often called the new atheists who have a very strong a uh, uh, rejection of anything spiritual or um, religious. They have very, very, very high attitudes towards science and a very. Um, uh, negative attitudes towards anything religious, and I wanted to see um, whether um, how these different subgroups of identities uh, think about the conflict narrative between science and religion. And I wanted to do that in a in a comparative way between the UK and the US because um, both of those contexts um, are quite interesting when it comes to atheism. So in the, in the UK, we have this, these findings of the, of the new atheists and that they can be splintered or like categorized in those things. In the US, that research hasn't been done, but also we know that um, uh, in the US, um, there's a lot of research on atheists and how atheists are distrusted and how they are, um, how, how people don't 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 like them very much and so i wanted to see how that these different cultural contexts shapes the identity of atheists in these different uh, countries and, um, uh, and then, uh, of course, another really interesting th- thing is that in the UK, um, uh, the, well, the UK is becoming um, more and more non-religious and secular country, whereas in the US, the US that's not really the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wanted to really have a look um, at these different uh, cultural, um, yeah, cultural contexts and these uh, more nuanced understanding of how atheists actually think about the conflict narrative. So I, um, I ran two large surveys, one in the UK, one in the US on atheists. And the first thing that we wanted to look at is whether, can we, whether we can find these different groups of A- 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 atheist identities. And actually we, we can. So when we, we ask participants about uh, how they, um, about their spiritual beliefs, Uh, we asked participants about uh, their attitudes towards science and their attitudes towards religion. And when we looked at these three uh, questions, and depending on how participants answered, we can clearly could clearly group them into two kind of of groups. Um, But interestingly, um, the the distribution of those uh, groups uh, was was different across the two countries. So actually, we found more new atheists, so to speak, in the US. So about 70% of our our sample in the US with uh, new atheists, whereas in the UK, uh, only about 60% of our samples were new atheists. What I also looked at is how then people thought about other Um, other ideas and other kind of variables, as we call them in psychology. So other kind of uh, concepts uh, when it comes to science and religion. So I asked them about how uh, strongly they actually identify with atheism, um, how uh, they perceive the conflict between science and religion with the uh, scale that we established and we just talked about. I asked them about their belief in science so how important they think science is to society and themselves and to what extent they think that um, to be a scientist, you actually have scientists or to conduct science, you actually have to do to be atheist. So the associations between atheism or non-belief and science. And what we found is is a little bit less surprising. Um, but what we found is that that those those participants who had um, who were who we could classify as sort of new atheists had stronger. Um, Uh, stronger um, scores on all of those concepts. So they, they had a higher identification with atheism, they had a stronger belief in science, uh, they had stronger associations between atheism and science, and they perceived uh, more conflict between science and religion on both of those content areas that we talked about.
1: Oh, I was just, uh, could you clarify a little bit what a exactly a new atheist I might have just missed it in the explanation somewhere but so what, do, what does that mean in the context of these identities so
3: basically basically um,
1: um
3: uh, in uh, in, the, in the UK uh there and, and and within the atheist kind of movement or identity group there is uh there has research been showing that um uh, there is a kind of a, a, a group crystallizing out of them that have uh, a very strong and explicit views on uh, the rejection of religion and spirituality, the value of science to society, and uh, a kind of a devaluing, or valuing of any religious beliefs. So I'm trying to distinguish between kind of people who no, kind of only nominally. Uh, categorize themselves as atheists so they say yeah I don't believe in God and then those people who are not only saying I don't believe in God or any higher power I'm also really really anti sort of religious in a sense
1: ah yes so it's that important element of not just I don't personally believe this I am against it as a yeah as a concept yeah okay okay that makes more that makes sense
2: I think it's useful, if I could just jump in, I think it's useful to think of kind of like illustrative examples of new atheists to kind of help understand the kind of, um, you know, impulses of this group, if you will. So you've got people like Mm -hmm. Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, um, folks like that, um, and that can kind of give you an idea of the the kind of the tenor of belief uh, that's going on in that movement.
3: Yeah. Sorry,
0: I should have said that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, yes. Yeah, so and my, my, I mean, immediate point to jump to when you, when you were talking about New this is that kind of you know, and my kind of interest in, in sort of a, the influence of more kind of popular culture on these things as well. You know, people like you know the Four Horsemen or those you know those guys. Like you know, I guess I, I don't know with again not being a social psychologist, not not using the kinds of methods that you would do. But I suppose, do you have space within? Within the kind of the the work as you're collecting the data, this kind of data to, to kind of get people to feed in that kind of to say, like you know, do they like you know, is there a kind of I I I I I listen to I oh, know I read the God Delusion tick box or you know I'm sure there isn't, but you know, or do you kind of how can you factor in some of those kind of like popular popular actually, influences yeah. to think about like what that that category if you like.
3: I have actually included uh, questions like that in my follow-up studies after that, Um, but I, um, as so often, haven't had a chance to actually (laughs) look at the data yet. but i have, uh, have have included follow-on questions like that asked whether they're familiar with uh, certain mm. authors like richard Dawkins um sam Harris, and so forth and then if they were i've listed all of their books and asked which books have you read mm. um, uh, of those, um of those of those authors um, but i haven't had a chance to look at it um i haven't yeah i i, I, I hope that at some point i will be able to.
0: So so do I. That's I mean that's so fascinating to me to see how how that kind of all plays out. I, mean, I was just going to pick up on one sort of more um uh, kind of further point about that kind of you know that this this category of atheism because it's something that I'm kind of really interested myself in kind of research interest as well. But so it, are you? Do you distinguish a kind of and, and it's something that other people have spoken a lot about on this podcast as well. So it's, do you distinguish further between like the kind of so you've got these kind of two atheist groups, you know, these kind of new new atheists and then these kind of more like default I just don't you know no atheist are you then do they kind of that group kind of capture this this kind of more broader concept of non like the non-religious or is that then like a third category that's outside of kind of what you're looking at is that so is it is it just very much on atheists or like to those more general like non-religious people fa- figure in your um in your in your analysis or is that just too big then the category or
3: um I think um uh... I think um it, it's really difficult to differentiate because, because I think a lot of non-religious um, who are kind of like have not really thought about this mm. but they just know that they're non-religious and they don't believe they don't believe in any sort of mm. god or higher power they I personally assume that they're equally likely like randomly pick either atheist or non-religious depending on potentially how they feel but I think Carissa has done a bit more research on the on the non-religious than I have Um, so she might want to chip in but like yeah so I think that's really difficult to uh, to uh, differentiate. And that's why I wanted to really see if we can find within how people answer a certain questions within the survey, whether we can find, uh, find a more nuanced understanding of, of these mm-hmm. kind of different, uh, or how people think about their identities in a different way. And what's also really interesting is that in, if, it, if I then look further in my research, as I said, I can find differences in how they answer other questions, but I can also find differences on how they react to uh, certain cultural narratives um, on on, on then their attitudes towards religious and uh, and religion and and their perceptions of of threat from religious um, beliefs to their own kind of beliefs. Yeah, so I think there is something going on. So it's really interesting, but there's a lot of data that I have that I haven't looked at. Um yeah, so as it goes, um there's lots more research to be done. Carissa.
2: Thanks. I just raised my hand in the useful for our podcast listeners. Um, <laughs> um I I think it's really interesting to hear to to think here about um. Kind of the strength of identity as well yeah. right so um when you were talking about that Corolla, i was reminded of a study that we ran one time years ago now um where we were asking people to list a bunch of different identities that they had so we had, you know what's your religious identity are you a parent are you you know these kinds of things yeah. what's your political identity blah 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 and then we wanted them to choose the four most important to them. And we wanted religion to be one of those four. Like that that was kind of our criteria for like, now you continue on with the study because we wanted to get people who um, kind of strongly identified with their religious identity. Got religious people, no problem. We got atheist people, no problem. And we absolutely could not get That kind of Mm. middle group, if you will, people who are non religious but not atheist, Mm. we could net we never were able to get enough participants for that study um, because it just was basically impossible for us to get a large enough group of people who are in that kind of middle non religious category who chose the non-religious identity as being one of the four most important identities in their mm. life it just it was really really difficult to find them so they do exist i'm not saying that they don't exist obviously but i think that there's it's it tends to be less strong of an identity um for people who are non-religious but not atheist
0: oh yeah that's so interesting um but yeah and it kind of it, it, it intuitively seems to make sense right in terms of what you're trying to figure out that because of the the lack of the strength of identity, there's not going to be, yeah, yeah, it makes, it makes sense that it's difficult, but also then it confounds (laughs) attempts to investigate this group, right? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It can make things a bit tricky depending on how you're setting up your studies for sure.
3: And it's really interesting because I think there is some indication within social psychology in general that, that shows that actually, um, groups that that crystallize around something that they believe in and may that be being believing in a god or believing that there is no god will have a stronger form of identity than the groups or individuals who say that they that they are don't believe in something or are not part of something because it's kind of like a negative kind of like um, rejection of something. And it's it's, it's difficult to to kind of form an identity around
2: that. And therefore, it's Mm. not it's not very important to them. Well, I would say, I think for a lot of non-religious people, I wouldn't even say it's a rejection. No, it's, it's, it's I think rejection is, is more along the lines of atheists where then you actually do have an identity based around that. Yeah. Whereas for a lot of non-religious people, it's just I'm not religious and it's not rejecting religious because exactly. nowadays it's becoming so much more normative to be non-religion, especially in places like the UK that you, you know, you have people who are born non-religious. They're not being raised in any particular religion. They don't have that framework. So it's not necessarily a rejection. It's just, it's just not important to them necessarily. Um, so I think, I think especially among those people, it's, it's hard to find people who will say, oh yeah, you know, being non-religious, that is a really important part of my identity. Cause it's just, it's not something that they even really think about necessarily. Yeah.
1: Cause it's almost a neutral I just don't think about it. Rather than a, I believe in this thing. Yeah, and I believe that then there is not this thing. And yeah.
2: I mean, I like, don't like to call any identity neutral necessarily because I don't I think know. that way plays <laughs> out that way. But I would say it seems to be something that's less kind of strongly motivating, maybe, or something along.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a bit more diffuse, really, in the mindset. Yeah. It's very clear what it means to not believe as an atheist or to believe in something that's a very clear identity like group identity you can construct around that but that being non-religious can have so many different you know ways of being non-religious and it's it's not something that as you say that comes up a lot of times so you don't really have a clear sort of like identity around that and therefore it's just not very important to you and therefore we can't find
2: these participants (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you can also have people who are, you know, it's it's a really vast category, right? Yeah. So there are lots of different ways of being non-religious. Um, you know, you can be spiritual, but not religious. You could be agnostic. There's lots of different ways in which you might kind of categorize yourself within that. But it's a very, very broad catch-all category. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, granted, all of these categories we're talking about today are very broad and catch-all. Um, but they seem to have a little bit more specificity, like being religious um, or being atheist seems to have a bit more specificity there.
0: No, it's so interesting. And I think, yeah, there's, there's we've had a number of different discussions throughout yeah, on, on the podcast about the different ways that kind of non religious people might be kind of, you know, understanding that non religion or, or practicing or kind of instantiating that non religious. So, yeah, it's as you say, very broad. But, but I kind of want to move on to talk uh, about another strand of the work that <laughs> the large and complex kind of corpus of work that you, you two have kind of worked on over the, you know, um the past few years it's so so you have the had last a...
3: decade or yeah, so that, that yeah we've yeah, been working more. together <laughs> and not quite a
2: decade yet Carissa. come on
1: that
2: was another Hold year on. <laughs> so sorry if we sometimes like talk over each other or complete each other's sentences it's it's that we kind of have a hive mind sometimes <laughs> this
0: is the, the best kind of of, <laughs> of academic collaboration we're, we're witnessing here but but no, you, you recently had a, a another paper co-authored um titled uh, religious Diversity in Science, uh, Stereotypical and Counter-Stereotypical Social Identities. And that was published recently in Group Processes and Intergroup Relations. Uh, and so can you just tell us a little bit about how you're kind of using or, or what you mean by these terms stereotypical and counter-stereotypical social identities? I mean, this is something that we've touched on a few times, but again, it's really interesting to see how how these concepts are used differently in the disciplines that we, that we kind of talk to. So, yeah, so what do you kind of mean by those terms? Mm. And then... How do they relate to kind of religious diversity within science?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I think it's probably important to start with what we mean by social identity. We've been throwing the word identity around a lot um, in this conversation so far. Um, But there is a really kind of specific meaning of that term social identity um, in social psychology, which is basically it's an identity based around a particular group membership that you have. So, you know, we can have social identities of, of many kinds. Um, so, you know, I have lots of different social, ide- you know, my academic social identity, my musician social identity, my kind of American social identity, my like American expat <laughs> slash immigrant uh, uh, to the UK um, social identity. So, you know, we have all sorts of different social identities that we have. And some of these identities can be seen as being more easily combinable than others. So for example, the kind of the classic example of this is um, uh, a Harvard educated bricklayer, right? So um, when, you, when you combine those two identities with each other, um, it's surprising for people because the stereotypes mm. associated with each of those identities don't seem like they would go together. Mm. So there's a whole range of literature around this idea of of kind of multiple identities and whether they're seen as conflicting or not.
1: Mm.
2: So what we were really interested in is is in the context of the conflict narrative, right? You still have a lot of people who are religious scientists, Um, but we would think from the conflict narrative, how does that make sense for people to actually be religious and be scientists? Aren't those identities seen as being um, counter stereotypical, as, as not going together easily? The stereotypes of those two things don't seem to match according to the conflict narrative, right? So what we were interested in looking at is how people actually viewed a religious scientist combined identity, right? The identities of religious and scientist compared to atheist scientists who, according to the conflict narrative, again, would seem like those um, the stereotypes associated with those two um, identities would go together better. They'd be less surprising. They'd be more intuitive. Um, so what we did is we, um, again, um, just like in the previous paper we talked about, we broke people up into, um, like the participants in our studies, we broke them up into different groups based on their own social identity. So we we had religious, atheists, and then that kind of middle non-religious but not atheist group. And we found different results for how people thought of those combined identities based on their own social identity, um, their own religious or non-religious social identity. So what we found is that atheists that we asked always saw a religious scientist as being more counter-stereotypical, so more surprising, less intuitive than a Atheist scientists. I, did I say that the right way around, Corolla. Yes, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, you did. Yes, you yep. did. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, non-religious people sometimes would go in that same direction, but again, they tend to be less of a strong identity, at least in the UK. And we didn't always find that effect. We always found it for the atheists in our in our study. Now, for religious people we found something completely different. So religious people never saw a religious scientist as being counter stereotypical. They Mm. never saw a religious scientist as being more surprising or less intuitive than an atheist scientist. And sometimes it would actually flip so that they actually saw an atheist scientist as being more more Mm. counter stereotypical, but not always. So there seems to be something going on there in terms of how people are perceiving others Um, of different social identities that is related to their own social identity. So we thought, okay, so religious people, at least, really seem to have no problem in terms of combining the identities of religious and scientists. They're not surprising. They're not counterintuitive. They're not, you know, causing any sort of problems for them to think of those, those two identities going together. And yet, What we find when we look at the statistics is that religious people are very underrepresented in the sciences. So what is going on there? It doesn't seem to be that religious people can't imagine being a religious scientist, right? Because that doesn't seem to cause any sort of problems for them in terms of combining those identities. So it must be something else going on, right? There must be something else. And as we can see from looking at... um, the kind of the way that atheists and non-religious people are thinking about things. There are people who see there being, uh, you know, problems with combining the identities of religious and scientists. So our thought is that it might be something to do with the kind of wider culture and the culture of science as being perceived as non-religious and potentially hostile um, in terms of um, of how welcoming it is to uh, religious individuals. So...
0: Yeah, again, it's so so interesting. And sorry, Rebecca, if I'm just jumping in here, stop. But do do interrupt me and tell me to be quiet. Because I'm just I always find this just stuff just kind of like melts my brain, but in a really interesting <laughs> one. But um what I was thinking as you were talking through that is how do you kind of get at what the stereotypes are to kind of think about stereotypical encounters? Because it feels like at least for some of these people, so in this case, the kind of religious people, the stereotype doesn't hold. So for them, it's, so it's almost like you could like reframe what it is that you're saying is saying that actually for that group, it's not a stereotype. Is that is that, or is, am I kind of reading that wrong? Because it seems like, you know, so it's like, where, where does the stereotype kind of exist, if you like, that you're kind of drawing on to kind of test as a notion of a stereotype that might be having a role here? Um, or is that just kind of? not actually going to be useful as a question or does that that mean anything to my ramblings.
3: no these these studies are very um time consuming to say the least carissa (laughs) right um because what we actually have people do is we have people uh list um characteristics that came to mind to them Uh, when they thought about uh, a religious scientist, an atheist scientist, a scientist, a religious person, an atheist person. And then um, then we had uh, a whole bunch of research assistants. Uh, Shout out to the University of Kent partially here, where we had undergraduate students who helped us out with that a little bit. Um, Undergraduate students who are now uh, lecturers, by the way. So... um, (laughs) Gives you an idea of how long the project has been going on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, who then, uh, uh, then looked at those characteristics and looked at uh, which characteristics were only listed for religious people, were only listed for scientists, were only listed for atheists, were only listed for non-religious people. And then when they looked at the combined identities, to what extent those combined identities were formed out of the stereotypes that were associated with each individual identity. Okay, are you with me?
0: I think so, yes
3: so uh, oh. a, 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 a prominent example from 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 my past research which is very very old now but I did that uh, a lot for um, uh, male mechanics and female mechanics. Now we have a more of an understanding of what correct char- what's what characteristics of of women, what are characteristics of men, and what are characteristics of, of mechanics. Mm-hmm. And then we can uh we participants when we give them the, for example, male mechanic, they come up that the these people are greasy, uh, that male mechanics are um
2: not not greasy in the sense of like like creepy, greasy in terms <laughs> <No>. of actually <laughs> greasy <laughs>
3: But you know that they're smothered in
2: oil mm. and all that kind of stuff. That... <laughs> Sorry,
0: a cast dispersion on any profession.
2: <laughs> so basically, the descriptions yep, no. line up with each of like yep. with male and with mechanic, and you don't yep. really get much else that people are coming up with.
3: Exactly, and then we ask when we ask uh, participants about describing a female mechanic, all of a sudden they say that they are uh, interested in math. And uh, uh, and 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 uh, stuff like that that you wouldn't characteristic it wouldn't be characteristic really for 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 either mechanic or 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 female so that's a new kind of way of describing that person because um, people come up with all sorts of things.
2: We call call those emergent attributes because they're emerging from this new the, the combination of those two identities, Mm. which is unusual for people to think about. So basically people have to engage a different part of their brain to try and make sense of counter stereotypical identities um, because they can't just think along the lines of their normal stereotypes. They're like, oh, this person is surprising. Mm -hmm. And so then they come up with these ways of explaining this combination. So that's why you end up with these kinds of new types of descriptors. Um, that people are coming up with. So the kinds of things that we might come up with for um, a religious scientist, for example, would be things like open minded, or Mm. um, wise, or, Mm. you know, or, or kind of negative Mm. (laughs) versions as well confused, um, you know, (laughs) things like that, you know, depending on on people's own perspective on uh, the conflict narrative and that kind of thing. But but basically, yeah, you know, we were looking at like, to what extent are people coming up with these emergent attributes to describe um, a religious scientist versus an atheist scientist? Um, And then we did we did a few studies that way. uh, And then we thought, oh, boy, this is this is really time consuming. And then we found a different way of looking at it, which was from the other direction, which is much easier to run, um, which is something called. um, uh, Conjunctive fallacy. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Corolla. See, hive mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the conjunction fallacy, which is this idea that, um, you know, you give people a description of um, kind of a stereotypical person. So you give them a vignette, you give them a little story. Um, you know, what we did in ours, we did a kind of adaptation of the conjunction fallacy. But basically we did, we gave them a little story of somebody who sounds kind of generally pretty sciencey, someone who, you know, they were always mm-hmm. interested in the natural world and then kind of understanding how things worked and things along those lines. And then we asked, um, to what extent is it likely that this person is a scientist and is religious? And. Um, and then, so half the people we said a scientist or a scientist that is religious and we had them answer both those. And then another group of people we said a scientist and as a scientist and as an atheist. And so we were looking at kind of whether people, because it's the answer is always going to be that they're a scientist rather than a scientist plus something else that is always gonna be more likely because um, the likelihood that you're something versus something plus something else is always gonna be higher. Mm. Um, but people are more likely to make the t- conjunction fallacy and add on this extra identity if it seems to match really well with what that story was, if that makes sense. So um, if the description of this kid who's generally pretty sciencey um, seems like something that is is really also descriptive of somebody who is an atheist... Mm-hmm. then they'll, they'll, you know, say, oh, yes, he's a scientist and is an atheist, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So so it was a, a way of trying to get at this from a different angle, looking at how intuitive the combination of identities is compared to how surprising the combination of identities is. So we were l- trying to look at it from both angles. Um, sorry if that was a convoluted explanation. <laughs>
0: no i think it's 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 super interesting and i think we could talk about like i I've, I've discovered that i think i could talk about social psychological methods and how these studies are run like in a much greater length than i ever thought it's super fascinating mm. But we had but but um, i think rebecca has has a a, a, a a question that moves us to another part of uh this wide-ranging <laughs> terrain of, of social psychology that you've been working on recently
1: yeah uh unless there's any kind of follow-up
2: uh, no, actually, just just to say as well, uh, you mentioning Rebecca <laughs> um, <laughs> reminds me that that you know I I think ultimately so so yes the way that we to answer your original question will the way the way that we got at you know what are the stereotypes that we're looking at we we asked people and this was done in the UK. Mm. Um, but one thing that we're really aware of is that the UK is not representative of the whole world, right? Um, as much as people might like to think we are. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we're now doing in our, um, or am sorry, multi-country study um, that we're working on with Rebecca is um, looking at the strength of different stereotypes about religious and non-religious and scientific pe- and scientists. Um, across different countries to see if we actually find different results because we don't actually really know the extent to which stereotypes are actually um held in different contexts the strength of those stereotypes and things like that so that's actually one of the things that we're actually looking into right now um is to try and figure out like what actually are the stereotypes you know outside of the context in which these kinds of things are are, are most commonly studied mm-hmm.
1: Like, yeah, what a strength of them and when forced, what do they most describe? which
2: yeah, yeah, which, be really, which identity you have to choose yeah. out of a number of identities and you say, okay, um, you know, trustworthiness or whatever, you know, which mm-hmm. of these groups does trustworthiness describe? <laughs> the best, <laughs> the best. Yeah, so
1: yeah. it will be really interesting, yeah, especially to see what do people actually think? because mm-hmm. yeah, we've exactly. got this kind of thinking across it but it'll be nice to see if we can quantify it a little bit more
2: yeah Super so I'm really excited yeah. to to see the results of that study um yeah and it will be much easier than trying
3: to code um <laughs> uh-huh very much (laughs) but 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 these these characteristics or these stereotypes actually that we're using in this follow-on study um across different countries comes directly from from the study that we ran before so it's really interesting to see how how we can use the material that we already have to get a deeper insight into what extent this is applicable to other countries, to what extent um, other countries think about scientists and religious people and and non religious people and atheists in the same way. And again, to what extent do people's own religious or non religious identities play a role in that. So it will be really, really fascinating uh, uh, study um and with uh, lots a lot of less effort than than what we've done in the past, <laughs>
0: <so>. <laughs> well it seems like it's effort that hasn't gone unrewarded right because I mean it's no, yeah. you all this stuff and super interesting but yeah no I, I look forward to hearing more as I should as, say as, as well as you know
2: we created that list that we're using for this upcoming study yes based on our own research but also based on lots of other people's research yes, um mm-hmm. so uh, we we recognize that that there are lots of other people doing really, really interesting and useful information or useful uh, research in this area as well. Um, So it's nice that we can all kind of learn from each other. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I mean, thinking about working with other people and thinking of things across countries, that can move us nicely into the next little bit as that we're going to talk about briefly as well. So this is more related to Carissa, some new work that you are doing. So, you've got a new project. It's developing a program of interdisciplinary cross training in psychology for theologians. So, kind of, I guess, first is like, what is like a brief overview of what you're trying to do with this? And what motivated you to develop this program? And what are you hoping to achieve with it? Sure.
2: I think I might. I might take your questions in a different order actually and start with my motivations. (laughs) Um, That works. Because it's it's kind of a personal history, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it kind of goes back to my identity as a psychologist of religion um, and kind of my journey through academia, really, because um, one thing I've found is that psychology and religion departments do not tend to talk to each other. So Mm In my undergraduate degree in America, I did a double major. Um, So I majored in both psychology and religious studies. Um, And those departments absolutely did not talk to each other at all. In fact, the psychology department had a psychology of religion module that they were teaching, and the religion department had absolutely no idea. that They just didn't talk to each (laughs) other at all. There was absolutely no communication. Now, you find a lot of like sociology, anthropology um other social sciences based in religion departments because religion obviously is a, is like a subject of study rather than a method necessarily. So you know you find a lot of people doing sociology of religion, doing anthropology of religion who are sitting in religion departments. It's very uncommon to find psychology in a religion department. So in fact I did I then did a master's in religion. Um, and I was in, uh, at Harvard Divinity School, which is massive, it's huge, tons and tons of professors, um, tons of students, um, tons of sociology and anthropology of religion and no psychology at all. Um, now, I mean, you, you had a few professors who were kind of interested in, and would kind of dabble in, in some, but it, it wasn't, you didn't have anybody who would self-identified as a psychologist of religion or anything like that. And then I, wanted to look at um, at psychology at, at PhD programs and I was looking at, at psychology programs where they would let me study religion and I was looking at religion programs where they would let me use psychology methods, you know, so I basically could sit in either department. Um, and I got rejected by both kinds of uh, schools. So I got rejected by psychology professors who didn't want to be working with somebody who was studying religion. And I got rejected by religion departments who didn't want somebody in there who was going to be doing quantitative research with numbers. You know, they mm-hmm. uh, that was not something that they were interested in having. So um, there certainly were people who were interested, not to say that it was all closed doors. Um, you know, so I ended up going and doing my PhD at uh, University of Cambridge there was a psychology of religion research group there. It's based in the divinity program. So I did my first year in religion. And then my supervisor moved to the psychology pr- department. So I moved to finish my PhD in psychology. Um, so I've been all over. Then I did a postdoc in the psychology department, and then more postdocs in multidisciplinary groups. Now I'm based in a religion department, right? So I've been kind of all over. But one of the themes that I found is that you still have very little communication between psychology and religion programs. You Do have a kind of a uh, growing group of psychologists of religion? It's a really kind of exploding field, if you will. Like there's a lot of funding in it. There's a lot of people who are doing really exciting, interesting work in it, but they still tend to be fairly marginalized. And, um, our colleague, uh, Kimberly Rios, uh, who is amazing and has done one of the podcasts earlier uh, in this uh, podcast series or previous series or, or, or whatever. series
0: one we had. <laughs>
2: yes. Um, she's done some really interesting research looking at um, biases within um, psychology uh, against the study of religion. Um, and, and kind of more recently as well, kind of the study of religion in the social sciences in general. Uh, And it's there, it's like that that bias is there within the social sciences. Um, But then you also um, have, I think, a kind of hesitancy within um, theology departments and religion departments in terms of engaging with psychology. Um, And, you know, it's unclear exactly where this is coming from. It might be that people are just aware of the biases that are going on. Uh, It might be that there's kind of a fear of reductionism, um, those kinds of things. Um, but there is very little crossover. And usually when you see psychology in a theology and religion department, it'll be somebody who's doing like psychoanalysis or, or Jungian, um, psychology, um, which has its place, but you know, the field of psychology, uh, has grown a lot since the days of Jung. Um, and you often don't see people who are actually engaged engaging with modern psychological research, with contemporary psychological research. So anyway, that's kind of my, my little pet peeve is psychologists, um, a lot of times psychologists who maybe are interested in studying religion, but don't actually have any background in religion and don't have any religious studies or theology colleagues that they're actually talking to about the stuff that they're doing. And then um, in psychology and religion departments, this kind of, you know, desire not to, um, engage with psychology. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm in the theology and religion department now it is just very, um, dependent on the, um, on the kind of environment of, of any individual university and department. Um, but I think that, it's it's a very kind of strange lack of communication that seems to be going on between those two disciplines. Um, so that's that's my background and why this is something that I'm super interested in is kind of further developing that kind of collaborative relationship to, so that we can really actually pull from the insights of these two disciplines that are dealing with a lot of the same issues, you know, issues of morality, issues of kind of character and virtue. um, How should we relate to other people? Um, You know, how do people actually kind of think about really important things in their life? Like how do they think about God and how does that impact on their life? Right. That has huge implications for people's mental health, well-being, all that kind of stuff, but it's something that's often ignored in psychology uh, programs um and in and in religion programs they'll often just not kind of engage with the psychological side of research so so anyway so that that's my kind of background interest in that um and then the opportunity came up to uh to apply for um this grant in psycho- psychological cross training for theologians and this is something that i just i saw it and i was like oh, yes <laughs> because it's something where you can really, um, really work on that kind of disciplinary, uh, interdisciplinary collaboration, right? So um, we've got this really exciting program that we're gonna do kind of two different cohorts of fellowships where we're going to be working with theologians, um, you know, doing training workshops in psychological methods and in the kind of contemporary research in psychology of religion around different topics, pairing up theologians and psychologists uh, or psycholo- so mostly psychologists of religion, but some um, psychologists who are doing stuff that just kind of relates to the topic, um, and having people work together on on research projects um, and developing new research in this field of kind of science engaged theology, um, and that science in this case specifically being psychology. Um, so yes, it's something that I'm I'm really obviously quite passionate about, quite, quite passionate about, um, and really excited about. It's it's a really um, it's, there's six of these specific projects going on in the psychology um, cross-training uh, kind of cohort of grants, um, but there's a lot of other really exciting initiatives on science-engaged theology going on. So I'm really excited about this kind of growing field of science-engaged theology and, you know, how it's it's really seeming like it's really kind of generating this, this new exciting research that's collaborative.
0: Yeah it sounds sounds really interesting Chris. and I think yeah, I think it's really interesting as you were talking there about I suppose the different ways in which like religion is approached by these different disciplinary kind of you know what what, what religion is in terms of a kind of resource to study or a kind of you know a, a, I can't quite remember how exactly he talked about but I think there's these kind of yeah that these different different kind of ways you can you can you can kind of treat religion in it as a sort of social phenomena to kind of you know to to understand or as a or as you know a something else or a kind of resource to kind of draw upon or or you know yeah mm. and maybe that and maybe kind of breaking you know people having having people understand these different ways of, of approaching this this thing that is religion in the world you know helping people see the different ways that it's but you know that from their disciplinary perspective they're understanding it and and, and or you know in some cases maybe even like you know think about the different ways you can think about you know religion being a kind of a pathology that needs to be moved past in society or whatever it might be, you know, these different kind of social scientific approaches to religion that um that yeah that you know helping to kind of you know help shift some of those those kind of disciplinary inbuilt sort of you know perspectives on it might be yeah well we have budget would be, be a, an interesting task to kind of try and undertake right
2: yeah yeah exactly you know I think you know regardless of what your opinion of religion is I think one thing that is clear is that it is very important in human mm. society, <laughs> you know, it so and and for individuals as well. Mm. So it's something that you can't just ignore. Um, and it's something that you can't just kind of talk past. So um, you know. Whatever your position on religion happens to be. And the thing is, you know, as a psychologist of religion, I've worked with people of lots of different backgrounds. And I know amazing scholars who are very religious themselves, amazing scholars who are very atheist. Um, and I think it helps to have lots of different voices at the table when you're trying to kind of make sense of the messy world of human psychology and society and and everything right like humans just generally are messy <laughs> <laughs> messy and diverse and and fascinating and so you know the more um different perspectives that you can have when trying to kind of puzzle out some of these you know big questions of of humanity in general i think it's 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 really really important
1: yeah and kind of maybe help bring forward the idea as well that when you're thinking about these things psychology for theologians and you're considering religion not just as a belief system but as an identity Mm -hmm. in that it influences how you think and a lot of time and how you act and how you interact with the world and with other people and that's important to study but you kind of Sometimes it's easy to, as you say, skate over those topics,
2: yeah, absolutely. I you know, I think it's important to mention this. I mean, obviously Carola's work has shown this as well. I mean, non-religion is not just a vacuum, right? So mm-hmm. so, yes, we say psychology of religion, but psychology of re- religion really includes the psychology of non-religion as well. you know, it's it's whatever people's beliefs happen to be um, is what what we tend to study. <laughs> right so so you know um even if you're saying oh you know it's it's a secularizing world or whatever that also i think falls within the remit of psychology of religion because it's it's really more the psychology of kind of belief systems and um uh kind of worldview i would say kind of generally i think it all kind of fits together a lot of that research
0: yeah no it's it it's certainly, yeah, brought a broad, a broad, <laughs> a broad terrain to explore it. But but I but I see we've we've been talking for a, an extended period of time, and we could I think certainly talk for a, a similar amount of time, uh, <laughs> much more. But I really think that uh, we we should we should bring this discussion uh, to a close and just say yeah, thank you thank you so much to uh to Carissa and Carola for coming on and talking about you know the the such interesting work that you've been been collaborating on for the past almost decade not quite decade as carola said but yeah thank thanks so much
2: (laughs) definitely makes us feel old (laughs) (laughs) but it's been a lot of fun isn't it definitely definitely well thank you very much for having us on uh it's been really really fun to talk through all of this stuff with you yeah thanks it's
1: been a good conversation yeah thank you for your questions
3: and